Father, this evening, once again, we come to you, Lord, for the hearing of your word. Because, O oh Lord, we receive more of your spirit only by the hearing of faith. And that's why we gather, Lord, to grow in the knowledge of God and to grow in grace, Father. So, Father, we just surrender ourselves into the hands. Once again, teach us, speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. <clears throat> you see, last week when I was there up in the mountains, <clears throat> in the house where I stayed up in Sikkim, the family, they had a little shop with houses built. There you build down the hill. So a little shop uh, the family had. So it's vacation in Sikkim. Schools will open, I think, only in February because of winter. So there was this little kid, I mean, studying in class 8, takes care of the shop when the parents are in there. So a little shop, she sits there, so I ask her name. So I say, my name, um, Lepcha. So I said, do you know what your name means? She said, I don't know. I said, Lezum means good, very good. Okay, that's the Tibetan language. I knew that meaning of that word. So her um, science book was uh, lying over there. And she was working on the year that I'd finished to prepare for the year that is coming. So I was impressed. Because up in the mountains, so I asked her, what do you want to be? She said, a physiotherapist. I said, for the first time in my life, up in the mountains, I find somebody who wants to be a physiotherapist. Okay, then I was looking through her textbook, and I actually was looking at the school textbook after so many years, okay, CBSC. And I realized it is really difficult. It's not easy. So, I was wondering, why is that we give stories to our children in church while they have to crack such difficult subjects at school? And I was looking at all these letters, and Paul actually says in the letters, see that this epistle is read in the churches. So they did not even have a copy. And when this was read to people who were primarily semi-literate, they were supposed to understand it. Okay, they were supposed to understand it. So I don't want to make the, the word of God so simple, yet so complex. Like my wife keeps on telling me, I've been telling you for all these years to write this book on Genesis. The problem is that it's not that I did not write. I did not begin. I began. But the problem is the first line of Genesis itself went to five pages. So I realized if I continue like this, it will end up as a 50-volume book in some library who nobody will read. So Lord, help me to make it into a comprised, simple book which will be helpful for everybody. So today we go to the Romans chapter 4. We'll go back to that fundamental concept about, you know, we have to get it right. And uh, children who are not saved, remember you are under the law. Okay, so sit quietly, you are under the law. Those, <laughs> okay. All those who are saved, remember you are under grace, grow in grace. Okay, I will read from <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 20 to 24. Okay, I will read the NIV version. Oh, sorry, not... Uh, uh, chapter 4, verse uh, chapter 3. Okay, Chapter 3, verse 22. Uh, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight, God's sight, by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Now, a righteousness from God, 
apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Okay, So we've been looking at this fundamental issue with salvation and growing in salvation and all the traps the enemy will set to people, both in the world, under the law or under grace. First thing tonight we look we look at is that the object of the law and the object of faith both are same. The object is the same. It is to be declared righteous. Okay? The object is the same. Whether you are under law or whether you are under grace, the object is the same. Law would, would mean basically religion. Okay? Because every religion is a preset, a, 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 a compilation of different laws, and most of the laws can be similar. And what is the primary purpose of a law? To be declared righteous. Yeah, that's what the works of the law are. Dharmic terna. Okay? That is the ultimate purpose of the law. And it is the ultimate purpose of faith too. Why? Because it's so innate to our human nature. Because we were created in the image of God. Unlike animals. Animals are not working towards righteousness. They may outwardly do sometimes the same things man does. Eat, sleep, fight, scratch, bite. But they are not working towards righteousness. So they have no remorse when in our eyes they fall. They have no remorse because they are not working towards righteousness. Okay. So righteousness, to, to hunger for righteousness, to want to be declared righteous... Declared righteous is common to everybody, every human being. And usually, most usually, offense comes when somebody touches your righteousness. That's when you are offended. When somebody touches your right, because you, you, you believe you are righteous, whatever laws you're working under, you believe you are righteous. And somebody touches your righteousness, you get offended. Or somebody does not recognize your righteousness, you get offended. That's why scripture never says, um, scripture says about anger, be angry but do not sin. Scripture never says be offended and do not sin. Scripture says offense will come. Okay? So, one can be offended because somebody touches your sense of righteousness or be troubled also. So Nicodemus was troubled. Remember, until Jesus appeared on the scene, they were okay. They were okay. He was okay. Because he was working under the law and he felt he was righteous under the law until Jesus came on the scene. When he came onto the scene, he was troubled. That's why he comes seeking him in the night. Because he's troubled by his own righteousness. Because he sees somebody and he says, if this man who is so much young, 30 years old, and this is the righteousness that comes by the law, where have I fallen under the law? Where am I struggling with the law? Okay, so he was troubled by righteousness. The Pharisees were offended by righteousness. And when the Pharisees came to be baptized was by John, remember they were coming to add one more work under the law. 
They were not, that's why he, he was mad with them. He said, why have you come your way? You have not come because you repented. You have come to add to your work. Okay, that's why, okay. Now verse 23 of that verse which we said says, <clears throat> For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay. It's a very offensive statement to a righteous person or who is somebody working out righteousness by the law. All have sinned. One thing, they will agree that I have sinned, but they don't want to be included in that all. Okay, when you say all have sinned, mean everybody is the same before God. It doesn't matter. Your righteousness doesn't count at all. All have sinned. And then, Scripture says, verse 24, we are justified freely by grace, or it is a gift. It's a gift. Okay, now let's, we'll get into that. One common thing about all of us when Scripture says we all have sinned is that both by nature and by choice, we are sinners. But that's not what we are taught. If you look in the world, in the, in the world we are taught by nature we are good. And sometimes we sin. But the Bible tells you exactly the opposite. That by nature and by choice both we are sinners. Okay? By nature we are born conceived in sin and by choice we become sinners. So the gospel is a roadblock with people who fundamentally consider themselves righteous. That's why Jesus' first sermon, he says, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's why the gospel always works with sinners and struggles with those who think they are righteous. Righteous. And I will tell you, okay, I mean, just an example, okay, in the world. The biggest set of people who struggle with this, one is doctors, teachers, social workers. Because these, you know, there are certain categories of people who struggle with it because they are always involved in doing good to others. Actual good to others. Doctors are saving lives. Nurses, doctors are saving lives in their hundreds in their lifetime. Teachers educate tens and thousands of children maybe. Right? Social workers are rescuing, doing all those things. But the problem is these three categories, there are other categories also who are involved with the public work. Okay, struggle more because to accept that all, oh, like let's say Dr. Richard is sitting over there. In his life, let us say he's getting saved only at 60. By the time he's 60, he has saved 10,000 lives. And he comes and hears the gospel. That doesn't mean any difference to God. You're just like anybody. It's so difficult. It is not easy because all the days of his life, he has been hearing patients coming and saying, thank you, thank you. You're just like God to me. You gave my life back. This is the stuff you're hearing all the time. Hmm? You're hearing all the time. Okay. Like teachers hear it all the time. Generations will come back and tell you because no, no doctors. So you look at it, no, and then you hear this gospel which says, so you hit a roadblock. That's why Jesus first sermon he's saying is that, you know, salvation doesn't work like that. If you'll turn to the gospel according to Luke, 
very sister Anne. Sister Anne, I'll always remember you. Okay, I just, you gave me, right? This you gave it to order. I don't know who gave this. You gave it to you. But you got it at Gideon's, right? <laughs> That's why I remember Sister Anne. Okay, okay, Pastor Vijay gave it to me. He went to Gideon's, Gideon gave him two of this and I got one of it. I really love it. It's so convenient. Okay, verse 31 and 32. Luke 5. Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Okay. I have come to call the sinners, not the righteous. And if you are an orthodox, conservative Hindu, good Hindu, conservative, righteous Hindu, you need to realize every avatar is to destroy the wicked and save the righteous. And then you hear the gospel is fundamentally opposite. Every of the avatars, including the 10th one, they are waiting. Okay? Kalki avatar, including the 10th one. Every of the avatar you look, it is to destroy the sinners and to save the righteous. Okay? But here it comes and Jesus says something else. So salvation by faith. Then when you come and hear the gospel that it is by faith in Christ alone and grace, you are saved by grace through faith and it is a gift. Gift means free. It actually sounds too good to be true. It's a free gift. All you have to do is really repent and believe only in the work of that's why sinners flocked. Remember in Luke chapter five also the issue Jesus is saying because the sinners were flocking around Jesus. The parable of the prodigal son also and the three parables are connected because the tax collectors and the sinners were getting in and the Pharisees were getting upset. And Jesus is using this illustration. You are saved only by grace and your grace alone, your works mean nothing. And after that, what counts is the works of faith, not the works of law. And the Galatians, the problem is after getting by saved by faith through grace, they went back to the works of the law. And he's saying, who bewitched you? If those works couldn't save you in the first place, how can these works matter after you are saved? Okay, so get this clear. It's not that the Bible is denying works, but it's a works that comes post-salvation. It is a work of faith. So all the way the Bible is very clear. It is by faith and faith alone. You know, you know, by now, Romans 1, 17, 18, it's a, righteous are called to live by faith and faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you read the book of Romans, which is Paul's gospel, the fifth gospel, okay, he is working out this. I don't know why God used this man and this man alone to actually explain salvation to us. And I don't believe Romans is a difficult book if you're really interested. Okay, so you have faith, you have grace, you have salvation, and salvation is the point where you are justified or declared righteous. Now, if you come to Romans chapter 4, okay, I'll read the, I'll read from NIV because the concept, it's there in KJV too, all the other, other versions are there, but the concept for 21st century people is easier to explain it through NIV. I will just read the first five verses. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as 
due as an obligation. However, to a man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now, if you read chapter 4 of the book of Romans, NIV version, okay, and NKJV uses another term, you will see 16 times the word credit or credited is used. NKJV will use the term accounted, okay, accounted to him or credited unto him. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now if you come to verse 16, it says, Therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are under the law, but to those who are of faith of Abraham. So we will say, how does it matter to us? The thing is that it is guaranteed to everybody. The same way. Everybody, whether you are under the law or whether you are under grace, to everybody it is guaranteed that if you believe in God, if you believe in the work of Jesus Christ, you will be credited. Okay, credited. Now, if you look... So much is written about Abraham, okay, over there in this context. Let us go to verse 23. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And verse 25 is the icing. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification or righteousness. Now let me get into the concept so you understand. Because the term credited or accounted is from the financial world. Okay, And we 21st century people understand it better than any century. Why? Because say you get a credit card. You take a CC, a credit card. Okay, And let's say your limit is 10 lakhs or 5 lakhs. <coughs> It will also say wherever Visa, Maestro or MasterCard, the logo on it, anywhere that is accepted, these three logos are accepted, you can use the credit card. In actuality, when you got your credit card, you don't have any money. You have no money. But the company is guaranteeing you, you can shop up to 10 lakhs, though you have no money. Okay. It is good, the company says, up to 10 lakhs, if your credit limit is 10 lakhs. Of course, credit card companies will expect you to pay them back and interest and then goons will come if you don't pay back. All that's a different thing, but let us use, let us use that concept, okay? The thing is that when a sinner, sinner, meaning who applies for a credit card, who doesn't have cash, who doesn't have money, okay? If you have money, you use your debit card. When you don't have money, you use a credit card. Okay? So when a sinner who doesn't have righteousness, who understands he's poor, he looks at God and his work done through Jesus Christ and believes in him, God credits into your life righteousness. Now read Second Corinthians 5.21. Okay? We know a very familiar verse. If not, it should become familiar. What does it say? He who does not 
sin mm. has become sin for us mm. in order that by that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We become the righteousness of God in him. So basically what God does it is he's not only declaring us righteous, he's giving you us a credit line. Unlimited. Unlimited credit line of righteousness. And that's what verse 16 is talking about. Remember, it is God who's guaranteeing it. Because the credit card you have is only as good as the company or the bank that is guaranteeing it. Like now Maharashtra, that bank that collapsed. If you had that credit card, no company will act because it's already hotlisted. It's hotlisted. Okay, it doesn't. So depending upon the bank, okay, and like if you have an Amex card, like it gives you a lot of power. Because it's American Express. Okay, so depending upon the card. Now remember, it is not the card that is giving you the power. It is the company or the bank that is guaranteeing it that gives you the power. So if the company is bankrupt, the card has no power. If the company is like unstable, then the limit, your limit comes down. Because other institutions, shops, they are not very willing to give you much credit because they know the company's card you are carrying, whichever bank it is, is not very safe. But here, what does it say in verse 16 of Romans 4? <coughs> Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace, may be guaranteed to all of Abraham. Who is the one who is guaranteeing righteousness? It is God who is guaranteeing. It's God who is guaranteeing. Now, if you go to verse 17, how does he guarantee? How does he guarantee? Verse 11. Uh, sorry, verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Okay. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Okay. Th three things are there. One, first remember, the first thing you need to remember is it is God who is guaranteeing. Second thing, this nature of God is that he gives life to the dead. Dead means non-existent. Gives life to the dead. Third, he calls things that are not as they are. Get these three things in your head, okay? Let me explain again. So, your, your, uh, your confidence comes not from the card. Your confidence comes from the company that is guaranteeing you the limit on the card. So, your confidence is from God because He is the one who is guaranteeing. The confidence is not in you. It's not even in your faith. Again, let me give you an example. <coughs> like, you know, Pastor Vijay would know, you know, in very cold countries, when winter comes and everything freezes, the river freezes, the lake freezes, everything freezes. And that's when the sledges and the skis, everything come out and they're all going over the lake, you know, having a merry time. Okay? When they had to use a boat to cross earlier, now they're all sliding over the lake because the whole thing is frozen. But it is dangerous. It is dangerous. Many people had strong faith in thin ice and died. And died. Okay? And you will see them coming 
and then suddenly you see ice cracking and they are gone. They had strong faith, no fear, bold. They went on the ski or you know, sledge and the ice broke and you just went in and you can, you can freeze very fast, okay? Very fast and die. It's called hypothermia, right? Yeah, hypothermia, yeah. Then you will see the other fellow who is very scared and he crawls literally over ice. Now the difference is Others had very little faith in strong ice and crossed over. The ice was very strong. They had very little faith. They didn't do all jadu and all that. They just literally crawled all their way and reached the other side because... Why did they reach the other side? Not because the faith was so strong. It's because the ice was very strong. Okay. You need to realize... When people cross over the other side, it's simply because it's God who guarantees. That's why Jesus said, if you have little faith, little faith in me. He said, have faith in God. He didn't say have faith. He says, have faith in God. Know the one who is guaranteeing. The one who is guaranteeing. Because in that example, like I said, the only thing that matters is the strength of the eyes. The thickness of the ice. The only thing that matters with your credit card is the institution that guarantees it. And the only thing that matters with your righteousness is the one who is guaranteeing it. The righteous. It is God. And Mark eleven twenty two is where God says, have faith in God. Okay, have faith in God. So even if you have only a little faith in this great God, and believe what he says, you will be saved. And the other side people forget is that as soon as you are saved, God opens a credit line. It's just the beginning of righteousness. Just the beginning. Like you have a credit card for 10 lakh rupees and you go buy 100 rupees of groceries and you're so happy and satisfied. And then you get a text on your phone saying available balance 9 lakh 99,900. Available balance. And you're so comfortable because I got hundred rupees of groceries. But remember, as long as the credit card is in your pocket, it is useless. You have to use it. Unlike human institutions, remember, it is God who pays it. And it is interest free. You don't have to pay back the balance. You don't have to pay the interest. Now read Romans 5 and verse 2. We know it. And through him we have also obtained, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand yeah. and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Okay. We have access through faith to grace and it is grace that gives. See, the whole fundamental problem with grace is that if we understand, we, we don't understand the purpose behind all these things. Okay, like a credit card. A credit card is to be used in emergencies and only if you know you have the capacity to pay it back. It is not to go to sh- like shop till you fall, you die. No, it is like, no, 
it's not meant to be that. How do people get into credit card? Credit card is a very good thing. I'm telling you, it's a very good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. If you know how to handle finances, credit card is not a bad thing. How to handle your finances, it's a very good thing. But the problem, because even when you don't have cash, you know your cash is coming, you can use a credit card, but you need to be very, very controlled. But people all get into credit card. That's why credit card companies will send you 101 advertisements. This is available, this is available, this is available, 3, 10, X points and that points, all kind of stuff they send you because that's how they make their money. They make their money. But if you have control, self-control, a credit card is a very good thing. You will only use it for what it is and you know your limit and you know. But when it comes to God, you understand the purpose of grace. We have access to grace. What is the purpose, primary, fundamental purpose of grace? It is to grow in righteousness. We don't get that right. We are misusing our credit card and not using our credit card. So scripture says, by faith, because these are all connected, grace, righteousness, salvation, faith, they're all connected. Okay, they're all connected. Now, by faith, we have access. Let's go to, to fundamental facts. Go back to Romans chapter 4, because today we'll look more at Romans chapter 4. Let's go to verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, so became the father of nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Verse 19. Without weakening in faith, he faced the fact that his body is as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb also was dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Being fully persuaded. Okay. First thing you need to realize is when you come to God, you have to deal with facts with facts. Abraham had to deal with two kinds of facts. First fact he has to deal with is, is his own physical reality. This is who I am in terms of a child, okay? In his case, in terms of this is who I am, this is who my wife is. I'm 99, she's 90 or 89. And we are both dead when it comes to this one thing which God has promised. That is a fact that is acknowledging. This is who I am. The second fact he's looking at is, who is the one who gave the promise? There is a fact, a physical reality in which we are living in. You know, that's my fact. It's a reality in which I am living in, in this world, in his world. I am dead. She's dead, physically dead, to conceive, to procreate. Okay. The second fact he has to deal with is that God has said something. God has said something. That is another fact. He has, no, it says God regarding the promise of God. And the promise of God is directly related to the deadness of his life. That you shall be the father of nations. And the nature of the one who speaks is important. If Abimelech, the king, has said, you shall be the father of the nations, okay, <laughs> you can laugh it off. But what is the nature of the one who is speaking? It is not an earthly king, it's God. What is the nature? He gives life to the dead. His reality, I am dead. What is his reality? I am dead. And the one who is speaking is the one who gives life to the dead. 
Second thing about the reality of the person who is giving the promises, he calls things that are not as if they are. As if you look, you are not. You are never going to be a father. But God has a habit of calling things that are not as they are. So the man or the person who promises matter. So he is dealing with two facts. Two facts. One is his facts. The other is the person who is speaking. The question is that we have to deal with both these facts. This is what I am. This is what God, God says. We have to deal with both facts. And the righteous will never accept they are a sinner. And they need salvation. So they have stopped at the first block. Because they are dealing with their fact. Because like like the Pharisees. Says, I'm not as bad as that guy. I can work out my salvation. I can work out my salvation. Therefore faith is not. Everything is connected with faith. You need to have faith to believe you are what God says you are. Right? It's not a denial of fact. But when it comes to salvation, there is a denial of fact. A lot of righteous people, a lot of righteous people will end up in hell. Sadly. A lot of sinners will end up in heaven. That's why at the end of the story of the prodigal son, the younger son is inside, the older son is outside. And it's left open-ended. It's left open-ended. Because the, the good guy finds it difficult to accept grace. Well, the bad guy is easily accepted grace because that's a fact for him. I am a sinner. It's a fact for him. It's not a difficult thing. He knows he's a sinner. Okay? So, you ha- we have to understand this. I have to agree with God's facts. Both facts. One, this is who I am. And two, this is what he can do. Okay? We'll come back that to later. That's the first part. Okay? This is the fact. I see the fact. And once you know the fact, you and I have to agree with God's fact. You can know that fact and disagree. You have to agree. That's what verse 18 says. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. He agreed. It was not easy to agree. How can a man at 99 have a son? How can my wife conceive at that age? But he's not looking at that fact. He's looking at who said, you are the father of nations. Like I said, we have to come into agreement. Let me tell you some of the facts, whether we like it or not. We all agree. If Jesus tarries to come, everyone sitting here, irrespective of, I probably the oldest is my mother, and after that, Brother Banu over here, and the youngest is... Uh, our little Rihan. But it doesn't matter, he or the oldest, everybody is headed in one direction called death. Everybody. That's a fact. There's no escaping that fact. It is appointed to every man to die. You cannot escape it. You cannot escape it. Okay? That's a fact. Everybody is an ended headed in that direction. And whichever law you are under, Hindu, Dharmic law, Islamic law, Judaic law, Christian law, whichever law you believe in, every law accepts the fact that there is a heaven and there is a hell. 
because your innate nature of righteousness tells you the righteous will go to heaven and the unrighteous will go to hell. It's a fact. It's a fact. You cannot escape these facts. Everybody knows that it's a fact. Then, there is another fact. This is a third fact. This is from God. That by the works of the law, no man will be declared righteous. One and two is good. Three puts a spanner in the works. Because your entire concept of going to heaven after death is based on your righteousness. Okay, that's that's a principle uh, Hindu dharmic that your good works, if it outweighs your bad works, no karma. That's why they believe in karma. You will at some point escape. Okay, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, all believes in that karmic theory. Your good way, good thing, and if you don't, you will come back again and again and again until you reach that saturation point, because righteousness is believed. Okay, that's how they believe, all of them. I've talked to all of them. Where the house where I stayed, that man, that old man, you had to see him and sit talk to him, was a lama once. And he knew occult, he, he tried everything and then he got saved. Okay, so he knows both sides. Okay. So this is a fact. That by the works of the law, no man will be saved. Then there is a fourth fact. Whoever calls upon the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. Okay. Whoever calls upon the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. So you have, we have four facts before us. The question is, the first step, do we agree with all these facts? Because unless we agree with these facts, you and I are doomed. Because only at the point of death you will realize your righteousness was never enough to enter into God's presence. It's never enough. Yet God had offered us a free credit line of the righteousness of Christ by faith. That's where we come. Everybody has to start there. That's why Jesus said, I have come to call the sinners and not the righteous. And the sinners would have easily accepted. Imagine, let's, let us say, let us say, let's say Tabitha is sitting here. <coughs> Tabitha has no money at all. Absolutely, really, really struggling. And I say, Tabitha, don't worry. Here, take my credit card. It's got a three lakh limit. And you don't even worry. Use it. I'll pay it. And she looks at it. This can't be true. <laughs> Can this be true? It's too good to be true. Really? I said, yeah, really. How long can I use it? All your life. I'll keep paying it. Really? You see, the gospel is too good to be true. But it is true. It is true. And what did God's nature on which Abraham believed? He gives life to thee and calls things that are not. And the first thing you understand, accept the fact of the gospel is what God says. You know what? Not I was. I am dead in my trespasses. I am dead. According to God, it doesn't matter how well I am prospering in the world. If I don't have Christ, I am dead. And he's the one who gives life to thee. So, I look to God. I look to Christ. I believe in the work of Jesus Christ 
alone and God says you are alive. And the second thing he does, he calls things that are not as they are. When did he name Abraham, Abraham? And when did he become Abraham? Abraham means father of nations. Everybody asks you, what's your name? Abraham. Well, sorry, your children. <laughs> Why do you call yourself Abraham when you don't have children? Because God said so. So you don't have to feel you are righteous. You are righteous because God said so. I don't have to feel righteous. He said so. These are the children of Abraham. You were dead and God says you are alive. And he calls things that are not as they are. Every morning you wake up, you may not feel righteous. It's fine. But you are righteous. Why? Because he said, so every morning Abraham woke up, he he didn't have any son. But every morning if you ask him, what is your name? He would say Abraham. He didn't change his name. And one day he became Abraham. Okay? We come to the third part. Okay? We dealt with what I call facts. Second, we have to come to agreement with God. God says agreement. Okay? And third comes, I would put it across as the what we come and agreement cannot be in your head. It has to be internalized. Like I said a few times, I said, you can believe in precepts and philosophy of Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, Judaism, and be in your head any one of these people. But believing in your head does not make me a Christian. Does not make me a Christian. That's where internalizing comes in. Let me explain to you. Okay, now I'm going to do something. And these are, these are things which you do with in the rural communities because it really works to get their attention. <coughs> All those who are not married, show your hands. L- l- lift up nicely. Not like this. Nicely. Now, come on. Nicely. Up. All those who are not married. Okay, most of you are not married. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> All those who are not married but believe in the institution of marriage, lift your hands. Marriage, that doesn't mean you don't want to get married. I'm not saying that institution of marriage. There's an institution called marriage. You believe in the institution of marriage. All who are unmarried and believe in the institution of marriage, show your... If you don't lift your hands, that means you don't believe in marriage. You will live together with somebody when you get your freedom. All those who are unmarried and believe in the institution of marriage, show your hands. Right? Now keep your hands up. <laughs> All those who are unmarried and believe in the institution of marriage. Right now we have Pastor Vijay over here. And you know he's licensed pastor. The government of Telangana gives him the authority. <clears throat> now keep your hands up. And Pastor Vijay opens his mouth and he declares. He says, now by the ecclesiastic authority vested by the church, And by the authority of the government of Telangana, I declare you all married. (laughs) Let me ask you, are you married? No. Come on. You all believed in the institution of marriage. And you lifted your hands too. And how come you can put your hands down? How come? Will you go back from here feeling married? (laughs) 
You know, it doesn't work like that. You know, there is another person which the Bible calls mate. You know, you commit yourself to that person. You know, you make a covenant with the person. And you know that the day you make that official public covenant, it is just the beginning of a personal relationship. That is what I am saying of internalizing. Salvation is the beginning of your relationship with Jesus Christ. The day you are declared righteous by God, something has happened. It is not believing in the institution of salvation. It's not. It's believing in a person. And you have made a covenant. And you have separated yourself with that person. Now you have internalized somebody, something. It is there. So you have facts. You have agreement. And you three internal. Have only come to FAI. Now we have TH left. Okay, It's by faith you access all this. You have facts. You agree with what God says about you and about him. And three, you internalize. But the most important thing in a marriage or a relationship is trust. The most important thing in a marriage is trust. If you don't have trust, marriage breaks down. Relationship breaks down. It doesn't matter what else you do in the marriage. It doesn't matter. You could be, like, let's in terms of wife, you could be the best cook in the world. And you'll always tell in every wedding, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. He enjoys your food, but he doesn't trust you. You could be the best provider in the house, in the city, as a husband. But she doesn't trust you. Please understand the most important part of a relationship is trust. And a lot of people don't understand this. Why is that? The reason is trust has gone. Trust has gone. Trust has gone. Okay, we need to, I do everything. But the problem is my relationship is, it's because trust has gone. Sometimes you don't have to do anything. You have to regain the trust back. Once trust is regained, then the other things matter. But if trust is not regained, then all the things you do, so what happens, you are doing the works of the law without a relationship. I'm talking in terms of marriage, family, home, everything. Okay. We trust God. That God is committed to us all of eternity. Why do we trust God? Simply because of the cross. You look at the cross, and if you cannot trust this God, then you cannot trust anybody. Okay. His final declaration of you can trust me is the cross. So we begin there with trust. Trusting his work. And after that, we have to grow in our trust. grow in our trust. Okay, we have to grow. Now there are two factors to it in a husband and a wife relationship because Paul calls marriage, like I said on that day at the wedding, marriage a mystery. And he says I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's a mystery. It takes two people to tango. We say in English, tango I think it's a Spanish dance. Okay, it takes two people to dance, to, to do a Spanish tango. Okay. 
God has, I have to trust God and I can always trust God because of his nature. But God also has to trust me. Okay. It's both there. Now, I can trust God, but I have to grow in my trust of God. That is why Peter will say his final words, grow in grace and the knowledge of God. Get to know God. Get to know God. Get to know God. So every time we come here, we're trying to get to know God. And we look at him and say, you know what? He's never changed. He's always the same. Yesterday, Jesus same. Yesterday, today, forever. This is the way he is. He never changes. You do he thinks his way. You can always bank on him. And all, he's the one person who never changes. Never changes. Is that one constant in our life. So the more you know him, actually it becomes easier and easier and easier and easier to trust him. Some people is the other way. The more you know, it's more and more difficult to trust them. <laughs> no? But God is not like that. The more and the more and more and more and more and more you know them, you know him, it's easy to trust him because you know he is absolutely solidly constant. And constant in what? In righteousness. In righteousness. Okay? Second is, we have to grow where he can trust us. Now when we say we, remember it is Christ in me. Christ in me. We looked at on Sunday. Old Testament greatest says, I must decrease and he must increase. New covenant says, I must die that he may. You see, if Christ grows in me, God will always trust me. God has no issues with Christ. God always trusted his son when he walked on earth. He walked on earth. Why do you think that kind of power was given to Jesus? Father trusted the son. Because the son would never do against the father. Anything against the father. Never. Father trusted the son. The son trusted the father. But even in his case, he was growing. Remember, he was growing wisdom and stature and scriptures until he was made perfect. Because he came in this flesh, he had to grow. That's what Colossians 1.27, right? Says that Christ in us is the hope of our glory. So trust. Please remember, you have to grow in trust. In trust. Little by little by little by. So you have facts. You have agreement. You have to internalize where it becomes a person and not just scripture. That's where you can know the word of God and not know the God of the word. Internalizing is not that you know the word of God, you know the God of the word. And fourth thing is that you start. And fifth thing we come is H. That is where hope comes in. Let's go to Romans. And verse 4 and verse 18. Chapter 4. Against all hope. Abraham in hope believed. Do you see? Against all hope. Humanly speaking, no hope. But in hope, believed. His hope was in God. It's not that his faith alone was in God. His faith is the substance of things hoped for. Okay, that is faith is always connected with now. When Even when people ask him, Abraham, what's your name? He says, Abraham. That's faith. Abraham. What's your name? Abraham. What does it mean? Father of nations. But he's also hoping one day I will actually become the father of nations. So faith is now. Hope is connected with the future. Somewhere in the future. Okay. And this factor, let me tell you, this fifth factor is very, very, very crucial in a believer's life. If you come to chapter 5 of Romans, 
read, okay? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, meaning declared righteous, declared righteous, people don't understand. Maybe struggle with this concept about being declared righteous. We, we, decla- we like uh, what you call it, being forgiven. That's, that's, that is not what happens with God. You go to a criminal court and uh, the prosecutor says this is all that he has done. The defense attorney says, but he was also like this thing. And the, the judge says, okay, this time forgiven. You are a juvenile, 16 years. You are forgiven, but your record is being entered. Next time you literally judge, say, next time you come to my court, I will throw the book at you, meaning I'll give you the maximum. So you go out forgiven. You're feeling good. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, your honor. Thank you, thank you. I'll try to be my best. That's how you go. What have you received? Forgiveness. But that's not what God does to man who comes to Christ. He says, not guilty. Not guilty. You're not guilty at all. It doesn't matter what you have done in life. You're not guilty at all. If you believe in Christ, God says, I put it all upon him and I put my righteousness on you. Not guilty. So people struggle with this concept. And the ones who really, really struggled with the concepts are good people. There are two things you need to realize that God will never say. He will never tell a man, a good man, that you're good enough for heaven. He'll never say that. Because then he would be contradicting himself, meaning a man has reached God's standard. Okay. Second thing, he will never tell a man, you're too bad for heaven. He will say neither. He will not say you're too good. Come over. Just, 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 come on, come on, come on. Only one more good work. That's enough. You have reached 99.99. One more. And you made it. You never tell to any man that. Never will tell any sinner you're so bad you cannot enter. You will not tell that to them. He says anyone who comes through Jesus Christ is acceptable to the Father. That's why scripture says all those who have come through Christ, he has made them perfect. There's a perfection in hope, there's a perfection in faith. So here, okay, let's go back to the... Through faith, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hope of the glory. So there is a hope. The glory of God. One day, one day, one day, one day, one day, the Christ in me will be glorified. That's the hope of my glory. So there is hope. Okay? There is hope. Otherwise, it is like, okay, I am going and I don't know what will I do in heaven. It's like that, the donkey in Winnie the Pooh, you know? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the weather is like. He always will have an excuse to be like morose. No, no. There is this hope of glory. Okay, look at verse 3. Not only so, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character. So suddenly everything in life takes a different meaning. Everything. Because you have internalized, you have fact, agreement. You have internalized, you have trusted God, and the hope in you is living. Then suddenly you realize everything is working out for your good. Everything is working out with eternity. And then when you read the Bible, you understand it is real. That day is coming, an hour is coming. No tear, no sorrow, no grief, no pain. God will tabernacle with his people. They will live. They shall be my father. He shall be my father. We shall be yours. Everything is real. No, Everything is real. 
And the only thing is that how much will Christ glorify in me? And it is important because you will see there are, like, there are like, let us say, there is Sarah sitting over here. There is Hepzibah sitting over here. There is Sam is sitting over here. There is Pastor Vijay sitting over here. And there is Ma sitting over here. Now, does Sarah know me? Yes. But she does she know me like Hepzibah can talk to me? No. Can Hepsiba talk to me like Sammy can talk to me? No. Can Sammy talk to me like Pastor Vijay can talk to me? No. Can Vijay talk to me like Elsa can talk to me? No. Now this is all human. This is all the stages of Christ in you. And every Christ in you has got a glory of his own. Even though if he's just born again. And that's the hope of your glory. And that's what the Bible is talking about. We rejoice in things the world will never rejoice. Nobody in the world rejoices over suffering. Over suffering. You look at that Nirbhaya rape convicts, the family of that girl are waiting, waiting, waiting for them to be hung. Every statement is that we are waiting. Why is it delayed? No, Because these, be, these are concepts they don't understand. They won't understand because they are so outside. Because the law, what does the law say? Eye for an eye? A tooth for a tooth. And that's where the righteousness comes from. Comes from. You know? Now, do we believe in civil government hanging somebody? Yes. But we also believe it shouldn't be immediate that that person should be given a chance to repent and make it to heaven. Repent and make it to heaven. That he commits a crime today like it happened with the other four guys in Telangana. Four or five guys. Happened today, tomorrow you are killed. He didn't get a chance to know Christ. You know, that should not happen to any man. Because you know what? It doesn't matter what you did. Christ paid the price. And that is a credit card you did not use. Did not use. And it becomes very difficult for people under the law to forgive. They can't forgive. Because, and that's the righteousness of the law. It does, there's no forgiveness in law. There's only justice. Eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But when you come under grace, it's a completely different thing. So here it says there is a hope. And scripture says this hope does not disappoint. Does not disappoint. That hope does not disappoint. So faith has these factors. And there is a hope that is real. It's a real hope. And that hope the law never gives you. That's why this younger son, when he came to his senses and he started making his movement to his father's house, he's not going as a son. He's going as a slave. Not as a slave who would love. He says, I'll be become one of your hired servants. Because the law gives you no hope. The elder son who was absolutely faithful also has no joy. No joy. Okay. So you can be on either side, either in the world or under the law, but there is no actual reality of Jesus Christ where there is a living hope. Now come to that hope. Come to Hebrews 6 where hope is most beautifully explained in the context of what we've been looking at over the weeks. Come to chapter 6 and let me read from verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many offspring, descendants, and I will put it across. Okay. So after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves. 
and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. You will see everywhere where you have to take an oath, you take an oath by something or somebody greater than. You have to see in the parliaments how it is. They will name in the name of a god or the name of a book or whatever. No, they will make an oath, something greater. But because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. And God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Okay, what is that? He made one, an oath. Unbelievable, God made an oath. Second, he made an oath by himself. One, he made an oath. God doesn't have to give an oath, make an oath. He made an oath. Once he has made an oath, it will never change. Second, he made it by himself because he doesn't change. Two things that will never change. One, God never changes. Two, he, this God who never changes, made an oath. Are you getting it? And then, God, this thing. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. That's verse 18. How? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf and he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now let me explain to you. You remember a few weeks back and in, I think in December, what is God rebuilding? The tabernacle of David. Does it have outer courts? Does it have a holy place? Do you see real faith always goes to the holy of holies and even hope, real hope always has gone into the holy of holies and grabbed hold of God? Real faith goes into the holy of holies because it knows that there is no restriction. Come boldly, freely to the throne room of grace. Goes freely. Okay. Real hope also has gone into the holy of holies and taken, grabbed hold of Christ Jesus. Okay. That's the concept which God is talking about. There's nothing, God says there's nothing stopping you from coming to me. It's you who's stopping yourself. I haven't stopped you. I haven't stopped you. Like I said, we began with a credit card, right? You can keep on swiping. And sometimes they will call to confirm it is you. They'll call, okay, they'll call this thing. And then you realize in the month of January you spend two lakhs. But February the bill is only ten thousand. Feels so good. Without realizing the interest rate is like killing. <laughs> it's going up. You have no clue. They make you feel so good. You feel so good. But like I said, what if somebody gives you a credit card? Unlimited. And says, use it as much as you want. I'll pay it. I'll pay it. Now you read Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. Yeah. 
Second Corinthians chapter eight verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Might become rich. He was rich. He became poor, so that by his poverty we become. Okay, that's the lesson. That's what I'm saying. Let's say that uh, you have a credit card. Somebody says, no problem. Go ahead. Use it. But every time you're using it, somebody's money is going. Somebody's money is going, right? You're getting richer and richer. He's getting poorer and poorer. In practical terms, in human terms, he became poor and poor and poor and poor all the way onto the cross he became poor so that we could become richer and richer and richer and richer in Christ. But our problem is with poverty and riches immediately the eye starts glittering because we think in terms of things and money. But no, what if you don't get this right you will never get anything that you heard today right. <laughs> what did Jesus say? Seek ye first. And? Every, this is a credit line of righteousness that is he giving into your hand. Take the credit card. You can draw onto my righteousness as much as you want. And grace is given for that. Grace is given for that. God says, seek ye first my righteousness. Lord, how do I work under all this law and I'm still not good enough for you? He says, take my son's CC. Take my son's credit card. It's called Christ card. CC. Take it. Draw grace as much as you want. There's no limit to grace over there. It doesn't matter. You fall, draw grace. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. There is grace unlimited. Never will the bank of heaven say grace over. And if you are drawing grace for righteousness, never will you get a call. What are you using it for? Is it you? No. Okay. Now read Hebrews 1.8. Of his son, he says, loudly, Richie. Mm. Your throne is forever and ever. Yeah, that's uh, ESV. Okay. The scepter of? What is God's scepter? It's righteousness. That's the nature of the kingdom. Okay? The nature of that kingdom. And what does Paul say at the end of his life? What is waiting for me? You knew he knew how to use the credit card. He was a murderer, actual murderer, who was responsible for the death of the Christians in the beginning. Then he received the credit of righteousness from Christ Jesus by faith. He says by the law he was blameless, that even though he was killing Christians, he was doing it under the law. Because it is Judaizers alone he killed. He did not kill any Gentiles. Judaizers who left Yahweh to follow this new path of Christians, he started because the law mandated it. So he said, under the law, I am blameless. But once he found Christ and received that, you know what? He started using that credit line of by faith, unto faith, unto faith, unto faith. By the time he finishes, he says, you know what? I have reached. Have you? I did not waste this credit card that was given to me. I used it to the maximum. I knew how to appropriate the grace of God. The grace of God is given to us to grow in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. It's not given for other purposes. The primary purpose is that. So you have faith, 
you have grace and you have righteousness. And you connect it over there and God says, I give you a credit line off. And if you understand that, everything starts falling into into place. Everything starts falling into place. Then you start making sense of what is happening in your life and how to turn it around. Because God says all things work together. That's why your entire Genesis from 37 to 50, you read with one chapter of Judah and Tamar. You look at, because it's given to us as an example, you see Joseph's response to everything that is going through. Because he's an old covenant person who understands the sufferings, the purpose of sufferings. Hmm? Okay? Understands the purpose of sufferings. Because it's working righteousness. That's why at the end of the sufferings he gets his crown. He gets his crown. And God says not only he, all who appears this thing. So you have twelve sons Ten sons are, ten is the number of the law. Ten sons represent the law. The eleventh one is grace. That is Joseph who overcomes. Ten of them cannot overcome. Under the law, they all keep falling. Eleven overcomes. He is Jesus Christ, representing Jesus. And there is twelve, that is Benjamin. And through you read the entire account, you will never see Benjamin speaking. Can you remember any words Benjamin spoke? Why? Because he's hidden in Christ. The believer is hidden in Christ and he's, Christ speaks for him. So Benjamin represents the overcomer. Joseph represents Christ. And Christ speaks for Benjamin. Joseph always speaks for Benjamin. Though Benjamin doesn't know Joseph, Joseph knows Benjamin. So when they are all seated together, they are all kept according to their age. Meaning, according to what you have come under the law, righteousness. And then Benjamin is seated according to his age, but he is given how many times more? Five times more. There's a number of grace. He's given five times more. And did he do anything? No. Why? He just trusted. He never did anything. Of his own. And he gets five times over. And they're looking at it and saying, okay, he all got good, but he got more. Okay, You have to look at these symbolisms, these lessons in the old covenant to understand what God is talking about. Otherwise, we will get saved by grace and then go back to the works of law. And we will be miserable. Miserable. Law has its purpose. Law has purpose. But the purpose is this. What it is? To bring us back to Christ. So it's not that the law is cancelled. No. There are a lot, a lot of lawless people sitting here. They need the law, young ones. You need the law. Okay? You need the law. The law is needed. Okay? Next time when I come back, maybe for the pastor's government, a pastor's conference, we will look at the four governments. Self-government, the four governments established by God. Self-government, family government, church government, and civil government. In self-government, is what God is trying to work in all of us. A man, a woman, ultimately governed by God. And everyone whom God accepts as a son or a daughter, he disciplines. Okay, he disciplines. Family government, the discipline is called the rod of discipline. Rod can mean different things. In the church setup, discipline is in terms of disfellowshipping. Bible is very clear, she tells you. In the civil they imprison you, they take your life. 
the four different governments how you work it out that's how you work grace through so that ultimately you are governed by god and none of these other things you need to be told because you're a man who has learned god to govern yourself okay shall we pray father we just thank you we just praise you we just worship you lord once again we come to you by faith and faith alone lord i pray you give us open ears to hear lord what you have to say consistently lord cause faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of god we hear i preach the same word but you speak differently to each one because you alone know lord what each one of us need therefore i pray even today the word by faith will release grace into our lives so that we may appropriate the righteousness of god continuously lord and grow in the righteousness lord that is the hope of our glory thank you father thank you come in the church once again into the hands you brought all of us here safely and i pray reach everyone home safely lord thank you thank you father thank you lord for in jesus name we pray amen, amen.